Good morning, Northbrook Church. He is risen. Uh, today we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Uh, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word, uh, there's a few in the back at the welcome table. Uh, if you don't have one, that is our gift to you. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I know if you're a guest with us, you're like, surely that's not the passage for today. Uh, We must be mistaken, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, I was thinking about, uh, obviously, Easter, and uh, I was even thinking about celebrating the resurrection. And if anybody had just a ton of extra time and wanted to listen to a lot of mediocre sermons, I had even a bit of a challenge of, like, if you were to go and listen to the last two years of sermons preached by me or others here at Northbrook, I would be curious if there were any of them or how many of them that didn't mention the resurrection, uh, that didn't explicitly talk about uh, Jesus rising from the dead and what that means uh, for our life. And, and maybe even if you stumbled upon one or two or however many where it wasn't explicitly mentioned, that in some other part of the service that we didn't sing about the resurrection or that we didn't mention the resurrection in some other part of the service. And because um, to be honest with you, that's just what we celebrate here each week. And, and I love that we culturally take time to acknowledge and think about and consider Easter and the resurrection of Jesus. That's a, that's a beautiful thing to do. And I, I love that we do that. But again, the resurrection is, is weekly. It's, 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 what we, it's why we gather on Sunday, because we leave. That's the Lord's Day when Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and so that's what we are about, and that's what we try to be about uh, each week. And I think about our passage today, and even though Jesus' resurrection isn't explicitly mentioned, like we, we wouldn't be here today reading. We wouldn't be here today focusing on this passage if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, that we are of all people most to be pitied if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But he did. And so we are here for those of us that are Christians with as much strength as we can muster, as much excitement, as much fearlessness, with lives abandoned, with hearts full, excited and grateful and thankful that Jesus did rise from the dead. And so we're thankful to be able to celebrate that this morning. And even as I think about, again, the resurrection, one of the more significant Uh, kind of growth in my life over the years is when I started to get more of a picture of how the gospel and every aspect of it, including the resurrection, matters for actually all of my life. Uh, That there was this kind of this understanding that the gospel was this thing that I believed to become a Christian, and then I did all kinds of good things to be a better Christian, and a significant shift in my love for Jesus and my understanding of who he is and what he's done for us was when I realized, oh my goodness, no, this is, this is what I need every day. Like the resurrection is what I need every day. It's not what I needed just to become a Christian. It's what I will forever and always continue to need and what I get 
It's like the get, like we, sometimes as Christians, we, we get the, the beauty of the gospel and, and the best gift God could give us, and we get it as this one-time event, as opposed to realizing that we get that gift every day for the rest of our life, that we get to consider and believe and come to grips with and swim in the depths of God's love for us through Jesus' life, death, uh, and resurrection. And so, again, the resurrection is something that uh, is so much more than just a reason to hide eggs, however that connection got made throughout the years, uh, which we're going to do today. Well, they're not going to be hid. They're going to be on a field, and everybody can just go grab them. But the resurrection is so much more than that. It's so much better than a reason to come to church. It's so much better than even something just to think about in a way that's disconnected from our day-to-day lives. It is the power of God that we get to enjoy uh, in the midst of our days. And as I think about what we're going to talk about today, what Jesus will address today, it's an area of all of our lives where we need every ounce of hope that pours forth from the resurrection. I don't know the leading reason. I don't know that there's any way to quantify this, uh, but I don't know the leading reason that people reject Christianity, but one of the main reasons, one of the leading reasons is surely because people don't like the Bible's teaching on sex. So on a Sunday when there might be more people that are curious about Christianity but not bought in, and there's, this is literally, we've just been walking through the Sermon on the Mount over the last 12 weeks, and this is literally the next passage that is in the Sermon on the Mount. We believed it was providential that we should talk about lust and adultery on Easter. I'm sure you all planned on hearing that when you came in this morning. Uh, a couple things real quick. One, don't worry, it's going to be PG. I'm going to keep it PG, although in today's PG you can get away with a lot. I'm not going to try to do that. It'll be PG. Uh, I will say one of the things, there's just so much to say about all of this. At some point, I probably will post a little more PG-13, like accompaniment to this, because there's just much we need to talk about, much that should be talked about, much that needs to be talked about within the church that isn't, this isn't the best place to talk about that. Uh, But if you want to go a little further than uh, what we're going to talk about today, I'll post a follow-up on YouTube, um, and we can, you can do that. Um, And and just to make sure you know that we're really not trying to impress you, uh, we're going to invite you back next week to hear about what Jesus has to say about divorce. Um, And that's because it's the next passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's just what we're walking through is what Jesus has to say. There's an approach to church that goes by the term seeker sensitive. Um, And and the best versions of like a seeker sensitive church is there are people that are trying to reach people with the gospel in a way that welcomes outsiders. That's the best versions of it. The worst versions of it are, you know, inviting people to win a car and trying to get them to come to church and watering down uh, God's truth. But I would actually say that preaching on lust and divorce is seeker-sensitive. Like, like these are the, the hardest moments. There's, there's not one of us that hasn't been affected by those two things. We've all been affected, no matter how young or old, divorce, even if we haven't even gone through divorce, we've been impacted by divorce in our life. And, and, and the reality is that, that those hard moments in our life, like Jesus knows about those moments. Jesus knows about those moments where you're really struggling in your marriage. Jesus knows about those moments when you're wondering if you should stay married. Jesus knows about those moments where you feel bitter towards your spouse. Jesus knows about all of these kinds of moments. Those times when you're wondering if being married is what is best. Or or those times when you long for nothing more but then to be married. Or you long for nothing more but to stay married. 
But that desire goes unfulfilled or divorce does come. Jesus knows about those moments, but here's the other thing. Jesus cares about how you are experiencing those moments. He cares about the hardest moments of your life. Whether it's one of those or something else, he cares about those moments and he cares about you in that moment. And so even if you're on the outside of Christianity, wouldn't you want to know what Jesus has to say about the things that are like kind of our biggest struggles and what he has to say to you? And I just want to encourage you that you don't have to fear Jesus' presence in those areas, in those struggles with lust or those struggles with divorce or whatever that hard area of your life is. You don't have to fear Jesus' presence. But to be honest with you, I think we often do. I think we often fear Jesus' presence because we are mischaracterizing him. We actually don't think he wants what's best for us. Or what is often honest, you know, true is we are actually just not ready to be honest not even with ourselves or with Jesus, and so we don't invite him into those hard places of our life. Um, and as, so if you are a seeker, I, I would hope that you would want to know what Jesus has to say about these hard aspects of your life, and as a Christian, we have to be reminded that he is our only hope in these same struggles that we so often have. And so in our passage today, Jesus is going to use uh, the same cadence with the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, out of Deuteronomy 5, that he did with the sixth commandment uh, that we talked about last week where he said, you shall not murder. Look at verse 27 and 28 again in chapter 5 of Matthew. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so I think it's important for us to remember the context here uh, of Matthew 5.20, that remember Jesus is calling us to this greater righteousness in this passage. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That was the warning that Jesus, that we have to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, with Matthew 5, um, 20, he's telling us a couple things. He's telling us, one, we're never going to be good enough. We're not going to be able to get this figured out on our own, that we are going to need some kind of righteousness that doesn't belong to us if we have any hope to get into heaven. But he's also telling us this, that the righteousness that we actually have in life, the righteousness that we actually live out in life, is actually going to be greater than the superficial understanding of the scribes and Pharisees that viewed the law in a very superficial way. And so that's what he's telling us. That's the context of all of these specific examples from anger to lust that Jesus is giving, giving us. So if you look back at verse 27 and 28, Jesus is just simply saying, plain and simple, you can't have sex with someone that is not your wife. That is sinful. But just like anger last week, there is a mountain of sin that exists that is short of that, that is short of adultery. Just like Jesus connected every form of sinful anger to murder, he's now connecting every form of sinful lust with adultery. The Pharisees kind of thought they had it down. They, were, uh, they said, uh, Jesus is saying God was, I'm sorry, the Pharisees thought they had it down in the sense of they're not committing adultery. And Jesus is saying God was always more interested in than just a not committing adultery kind of people. He had much more in mind for what it means to love and do life with him. He's saying there is a way of interacting with your wife or your husband that is reserved for them and no one else. Whether that other person is fictional or real, a person in front of you or on a screen, 
or even one that's conjured up in your own imagination, when you look upon someone that isn't your spouse with lustful intent, you are sinning. And I think Martin Luther, he's helpful here in a a couple different ways. But when we think about, okay, what is sin? What isn't sin in this way? Martin Luther says it this way. So you understand when looking at a woman is sin or is not sin, namely that one is not to look at another as everyone is to look at his wife. And so whether we're a husband or a wife, there is a way we're to look at our spouse and desire and affection and intimacy that belongs fully and completely there and is a beautiful thing that shouldn't belong anywhere else, that belongs nowhere else besides that. I thought that was a helpful distinction. Here's a, here's a, a modern example of this. I was at a Thai restaurant working the other day and I forgot my headphones while I was trying to work. That's usually a deal breaker, but I was eating, so I was going to stay. And and then, so I overheard this conversation, which if you're talking in public, you never know if a preacher's nearby and is going to use your conversation (laughs) in a sermon. And so, and if you're going to subject me to your public conversation, I'm going to use it in a sermon. Um, And, uh, but I was there and there was these coworkers talking and, um, there's a couple guys that were married, and they were just talking about different things. And one of, the, one of the conversations that came up was this guy. I mean, I'm sitting here working on this passage. Anyways, so, so funny. But, uh, and then uh, this guy was talking about how he has another coworker who's single, and this married guy will do Tinder for him. Now, I praise God, never done Tinder, never been on Tinder, don't know what that is exactly, except for you swipe left or right, and that means good or bad and all kinds of things. So, uh, and this is what this married guy would do this for this single guy uh, at his work and, you know, swipe left or right on uh, different uh, profiles. But then he also went on to say that, you know, if something ever happened to him and his wife, he would probably enjoy Tinder for a bit, but the novelty would probably wear off. Um, so he's thought about this. Um, and, uh, and, I thought, and all of that might be true, but that is the very heart of what Jesus is saying here. Like the flippant way in which they were talking uh, about the covenant they were in, the, the, the lustful way they were looking at uh, people that were not their wife is, is the very thing Jesus is talking about here. It's just a flippant use of uh, marriage, and it is sin. And it is sin. That's what Jesus is getting at. And obviously there's lots more modern examples we could talk about. But if you look at, again, look back at verse 27 and 28. Jesus is saying you shouldn't commit adultery in verse 27. But then if we think about verse 28 deeply in any kind of way, he's telling us we have committed adultery. He's saying you, you can't, but yet you have. Like if you've, if you've looked upon someone else that isn't your spouse with lust in your heart, you have. It doesn't matter how many purity conferences you've been to. It doesn't matter if you've waited until you were married. It doesn't matter how many purity rings you may have or be wearing. That we all have done this. This is what Jesus is telling us here. Um, And so this makes us not prideful law keepers. We haven't figured this out, but law breakers deserving of judgment. That there are not certain people that walk with sexual sin and brokenness, but because of the pervasiveness of sin, this is something that we all struggle with. We all are this way. 
There are obviously more extreme experiences. There are ways we've been horrifically sinned against. There's ways that we have sinned, and there's more extreme experiences for sure. But Jesus is using the right interpretation of the seventh commandment to level the playing field and help expose all of the sin that we have in our life. That none of us escape the need for Jesus to forgive and renew the deepest wounds that we have. I think about even parenting here as we try to parent our kids, that we should protect our kids, we should help them see the value of obedience to Jesus, we should pray for them and their future spouse if the Lord would provide in that way, but we also need to realize that they are not going to be perfect, and they need to know much more than don't do this and you can do this when you get married, Uh, especially in today's culture where everything is up for grabs. Uh, There's going to be much more confusion, much more curiosity, much more temptation, and we have to prepare them for that. And we have to know that they are going to sin and be a part of sin struggles in this area. It can't just be don't sin. It has to be how do we prepare them when they do sin. And the, really, the reality is they need to know what we need to know. That Jesus meets us in our sexual sin and brokenness with an eternity of hope and more grace than we could ever exhaust. It's what we all need. It's what we all need to realize. It's what we all need to believe. But we do have a choice as we think about this passage here. There are, there are kind of three options. We have these lines, lines drawn in, in kind of different ways. Like the Pharisees are right here on this line. Adultery is right there. They're right here. And just thinking, okay, I'm good as long as I don't cross that line. The world really that they lived in, sometimes we think the world that we live in is crazy, and it is. We just see its craziness. The world they lived in, if you went to the Colosseum, there was public displays of sex at times. So they lived in a crazy world sexually as well. And so the Pharisees had this line. The world they lived in, the world we live in, there, there is no line. There, there's no line anywhere um, in the world they lived in or the, from that kind of perspective. But Jesus is back here saying, you know, the, the lines actually always has and is way back here. See all of that right there? All of that. Like that's gonna bring joy, but it's gonna be momentary. Uh, What what it's really eventually gonna lead to is shame and struggle and dysfunction and separation from me. That's what Jesus is saying all throughout the scriptures and in particular in this passage as well, but we have those options uh, to choose from. Um, the world and the Pharisees are like, hey, we can do all of this with no consequence. And Jesus says the consequences are actually more severe than you can imagine. They they truly are. And so will we choose the Jesus way, the Pharisee way, or will we choose the world's way? These are the options before us. And let me clarify something real quick. When I say uh, the world's way and the Pharisee's way, all too often finds a warm welcome within the church. Uh, and it should not be so, but it is. Uh, and so I'm not trying to be overly polarizing by giving there generally are two options. That's, that's just life and life with Jesus, Jesus or no Jesus. Uh, but all too often, pastors, uh, people in the church choose to live for themselves uh, instead of the one who died uh, for their sake. Uh, and so that is a reality, but there's still these options, even though they do exist, obviously, uh, within the church. And so I want to make the case real quick uh, that Jesus' way is better. That shouldn't be a surprise. We're in church on Easter. Uh, Three reasons Jesus' way is better. One, Jesus' way provides protection and healing for the vulnerable. 
Like Jesus' way provides protection and healing for the vulnerable. Here's what I'm not saying real quick. I'm not saying the Pharisee way and the world's way. I'm not saying everybody in those ways is exploiting the vulnerable. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying if the whole world, if all of humanity lived in Jesus' way, no one would struggle with abuse. No one would struggle the horrific tragedy of abuse. That like the, the worst headlines we read out of Ukraine, the whole Me Too movement, the whole Church Too movement, none of those would exist if we believed and followed and went by the way of Jesus in regards to uh, lust and adultery and sex and what that should look like in life, in the creation that he has made, that Jesus' way, more than anything else, provides protection for the vulnerable. The reality is, many of us have not been protected like we should have been. We were exposed to inappropriate material. We were exposed to lewd or coarse jokes that made us think sexually from a young age more than we should have. And many of our stories are obviously include even more tragic abuse and neglect than that. And the reality is, had those around us chosen Jesus' way, things in our very lives would be different. So the Jesus way provides protection, but it also provides comfort and healing. And let me just say this, the road to trust a sovereign God in the midst of any kind of tragedy can often be a long one. I just want to acknowledge that. I want to say just even as a church, we're willing to walk that road with you. Uh, But more than that, you have a God. There is a God that doesn't remain distant or doesn't remain silent in those realities. The world's way provides superficial ways to deal with sexual trauma that we've experienced, but Jesus experienced the trauma of being stripped naked, beaten, and hung to die so that those that experience similar things could cry out to someone who knows and cares and relates to them. But he didn't say distant, he didn't say silent, but he entered into that kind of tragic, horrific experience that we might know and cry out to someone uh, that has experienced similar things than many of us, uh, that we could cry out to a Jesus who knows. But also, he doesn't just know, he also has the power to heal and bring life where there's darkness and shame and struggle and death, where those things have reigned. That's what we're here celebrating today, that Jesus didn't stay dead, that the, the power of the resurrection doesn't, is not just exist in this ethereal bubble. It is the power of the resurrection, again, is most at home in the areas we most struggle. Like that's where the power of the resurrection is needed. It needed to be here, and it needed to be felt, and needed to be known, and needed to be sought. Like in these kinds of areas, that's where we can cling to that we have a a Savior who knows and relates and uh, we can cry out to and he can sympathize with our weakness, but he can't just, he doesn't just sympathize, he also has power. He's the most powerful being in the world and that he has comfort and healing to bring to your life and to, to mine. And whether it's this area of struggle or any area of struggle that you get to, to cling and cry out for God to help you in his power. Where are you struggling most in life? It is in that area you need to understand the power of the resurrection. Sometimes it's good. I would just encourage you to do this. If you've never done it, if you think about an area you're struggling, just take some time this week and consider the resurrection. And you may, to be honest with you, be drawing significant blanks between how this struggle and the resurrection connects in any way. And that shows that you need to spend time considering how this struggle and this resurrection connect, because they do. And we often don't know immediately. 
But man, the Spirit and His grace and kindness can help us see that God's work isn't just ethereal, but it's for our actual lives. So the Jesus way provides protection and healing, and the world's way at least creates the opportunity for abuse and neglect that for, of those that, that should be protected. And secondly, the Jesus way provides grace for the sinner. If there is no line, uh, there is no sin, and there is no need for grace. Uh, but the reality is we, we do all need grace. I think about um, the reality of, even in our world, if there is no sin, uh, then there's no need for grace. But also, the only sin in our culture today is to call anything sin. Like, that is the only sin in our day, is to say anything is wrong. Well, you can't say that. That is the only thing that's actually wrong. Uh, But the reality is, we all know we need grace. Like, we can do whatever we want to try to silence that voice, to silence the shame and the guilt of uh, just not obeying what we know God wants for us. But it's there, and it's not going to go away. And, and we need the grace that Jesus offers. Um, and in our passage, we don't actually see a clear explanation of grace, but grace is present in two ways. One, in Jesus' warnings that we see in verse 29 and 30, Jesus' warnings are always gracious. We may hear them in a different way, but they're gracious. There's, that is not the way for you. That is not the way to life. That is not the way to me. Here is the way to me. Flee from that and turn to me. His warnings are always gracious. But the other thing he's helping us see here, and this is what he's doing throughout chapter 5, is he's helping us understand what sin is. Again, if there is no line, there is no sin. But if there is a line, then there is sin, and we need to understand what what that is. Because if there is no sin, again, then we should all eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if there is sin, then we actually need to understand a bit of what it is. And that's what he's doing here with all these examples. He's saying, again, you shouldn't commit adultery. You have committed adultery. You should do everything you can to flee committing adultery. And even if you widen that out, he's, that's what he, with all these specific examples, he's teaching us what sin is. You, you shouldn't sin. You do sin. We should do everything in our life to flee from sin. Jesus is giving us an explanation and an understanding and a good theology of sin. And that is gracious. Uh, this is what the law was meant to do. The law was meant to, and when I say law, I mean the rules of the Bible, the, the, the law that Jesus is dealing with. Don't be angry. Don't commit adultery. That law is meant to expose the realities of those things in our life. That we, have, we do struggle with anger more than we realize. We have at the least committed adultery in our hearts, if not committed actual adultery. And this is what the law exposes. We find joy in pursuing obedience, but the law shows us that we never get to complete obedience on this side of life. Again, Martin Luther, again, he says, this life is not righteous, but growth in righteousness. It's not health, but healing, not being, but becoming. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. And so in this passage, Jesus is pointing to the different aspects in which we are still becoming. That we are angry and we're pursuing righteousness. That we struggle with lust and we're pursuing righteousness. And in that pursuit, we often need to realize we are angry than we think we are, and we struggle with lust more than we realize we do. 
And I'm just going to confess, Jesus showing us our sin in that way can be hard. I hope as Christians, in that, even in that hardness, there's a sweetness. There's a sweetness of the conviction that comes with Jesus showing us those realities. Because again, we can remember in Matthew 5, 17, that when he shows us that we can't fulfill the law, that we can't keep the law, he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God is not up to me or you not being angry anymore and not struggling with lust anymore. Which one of us is going to pass that test? Jesus says, I came and took the test for you. You could never pass it. It's the very reason. And he, I love how he's in 17. It's like, I came. This is the reason I came. Because I knew you were not going to be able to. And I knew I was going to come and do this for you. That I came and fulfill the law for you and do what you never could. Paul says it this way in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, that's needy, that's hopeless, that's unable to fulfill the law. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, angry, lustful, and a long list of other sins that are present in our life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the Jesus way, full of grace for sinners. I think about the grace of Jesus that welcomes the woman at the well. I think about the grace of Jesus that welcomes the prostitute to his table. I think about the grace of Jesus that welcomes men viewing women as objects instead of image bearers of God. The grace of Jesus is more plentiful than any of the sins present in your life. Do you want to be like the Pharisee and be hypocritical and claim that you don't have sin when you really have sin? Do you want to be like the world that celebrates all the things Jesus condemns and, and really treats sex like chewing with your mouth open? what the the world does or are you willing to confess you have sin and come to Jesus and receive the grace he offers listen to this grace again from John 3 16 just as Emerson shared in his testimony for God it's not Easter unless you quote John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life then going on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does... What is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is what you get with Jesus. All the grace you could ever need. But, but are you willing to come and let your works be exposed for what they are? If you're not, then you don't really need Jesus. You need him as maybe some icing on the cake to your life, but that's not the way he offers himself. It's all him or nothing. Are you willing to lay your works before him and say, these are the reasons I need you. This is the very reason I need you to, to have done what you have done for me. Um, this is how we receive and enjoy God's grace for us. So Jesus' way protects 
provides protection and healing for the vulnerable. Jesus' way provides grace for the sinner. And then finally, Jesus' way saves us from hell. Verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Uh, just to say a little aside, this is the verse that I want to spend more time on because there's just so much here in, in how we fight the sin that is present in our life. But I'm just going to focus on what Jesus repeats. Jesus is not afraid to talk about hell, although we might be. And that's what he's talking about here. And Jesus is in this is saying there's, so much, there's something so much more important than anger or lust or anything else in our life. Something so important that it would be better for you to just have one eye or one hand than to lose out on. And it is simply the God of the universe that knows you and loves you. That you were meant for him more than anything else in your life. Paul actually ties all of this together with the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 6. He says food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. More than food, more than sex, we are created for God and we get him. For those of us that put our faith in Jesus and all he has done for you, we will be raised up like he is raised right now in this moment. Jesus isn't walking around looking for virgins. There will be virgins in hell. Jesus isn't walk, looking around, walking around looking for kind people. There will be kind people in hell. Jesus isn't looking for people that start following him and never struggle again. Jesus is, is searching the world and looking for people that however anxious, however trembling, however struggling, realize their only hope is the one who fulfilled the law, the spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He's looking for people that love and desire him above all else. In our struggling way, in our anxious way, in our trembling way, not in our perfect way, but in a way that says you are what's most important. That we love and desire and need you. Imagine standing before a resurrected Jesus, enthroned in glory, radiant, and his eyes lock with yours. Like what? What will you have to justify yourself in that moment? What did Isaiah, when he stood before God, have to justify himself? He says, what? And, and Isaiah's righteousness probably exceeded ours. He says, woe to me. I'm ruined. That standing before a risen Jesus, the things that uh, we try to use to justify ourselves, even before ourselves, will fade away. There's none of us that's going to stand before Jesus in that day in pride. None that will say, yep, I, I deserve to be with you. I've done it, done all that I needed to do. Now, in that moment, how much of a sinner we are will become so apparent. How clear, how, how clear we are not like him when we see him will become so clear. And we will spend eternity in gratitude and joy and in new bodies and minds that are free from the sin that so easily entangles even now. I invite you, if you're a Christian, to remember that this is your only hope. 
I invite you, non-Christian, don't rely on your ability, don't rely on superficial understanding of Christianity that's so prevalent right now. Cast all of your hope upon Jesus. He is the only one that if you're not a Christian, you can call upon the name of Jesus for salvation and know that forevermore you will be his and he will be yours. And this is the very thing that we're celebrating today, that we get to be his and he is ours because of the beauty and the power of the resurrection. Amen?